We celebrate your life. We celebrate the fact, Lord, that, uh, that, that the tomb, that death, that crucifixion could not, could not kill you. The tomb could not hold you. Death could not keep you. And Lord, today you are alive. You are alive in us. You are alive among us. And so we just say thank you. Uh, that's the only thing we can say is thank you. You did something that none of us could ever do ourselves. You did something for us that we could not accomplish for ourselves. Uh, you defeated the powers of sin and death. You left them in that tomb. And you provide for us, Lord, an, an opportunity for life, new life, life to the full. And so today, Jesus, as we unpack your truth, as we dive into what Easter is all about, Lord, I pray that, that even though this is how many ever Easter's we've been, Lord, this may be you know, our 30th, 40th, 50th, 60th Easter, Lord, I pray today is different. I pray today we walk out uh, of church, we, we go back into life, um, having been changed for the only reason of that we bumped into you. Lord, we got in the same room with you, and you got a hold of our hearts, hold of our lives, and, and you changed us. So God, open our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts to your truth today. We love you, and it's, and it's in your name we pray. Everybody said? All right, a few years ago, a few years back, uh, to bring awareness to World Sight Day. It's like, you know, the, like, this new thing is like all these different made-up holidays. Like any, any given day of the week is some, some kind of national this, that, or the other. But, but a few years ago on, on World Sight Day, one of these made-up holidays, a group of people in Tampa, Florida decided to do a project to celebrate World Sight Day. And the way they did this is they, they posted on the Internet and all over social media, they asked people to send in pictures of the things that they would miss if they ever were to lose their sight, right? So you're going to send in pictures of things that you would miss seeing if you ever were to lose your sight to kind of raise awareness for, for World Sight Day. And, and the pictures they received are kind of what you would expect, right? It's kind of pictures of family and friends. It's pictures uh, of, of, of friends and it's vacations. It's sunsets. It's landscapes. It's, it's those kinds of things. I mean, it's people laughing. It's people hugging. It's, it's people having a good time. It's family. It's friends. But here's the deal. If, if this is all we see, as we look at these pictures, which these are great, if this is all we see, the fact is we're not really seeing the, the, the whole picture here. There's, a really, there's something a whole lot bigger going on in this moment, and it's this. See, the, this crew, they ended up receiving over 175,000 photos, and they used almost 200,000 photos to make the world's largest mosaic that covers over 21,000 square feet. And you'll see this here in just a second. They set the world record for the world's largest mosaic that was ever assembled. And it keeps zooming out. It keeps zooming out, right? You keep seeing this, this picture unfold. What we thought we saw, when we saw this, this thing of things that people would miss that they saw, it was actually much, much bigger than this. It created this enormous mosaic, right, that, that covered the entire floor of an arena. It covered the entire floor of a, of a basketball arena. Now, now, here's what we learned from this, right, as they assembled all of these hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pictures. Now, here's what we learned from this, okay? You learn from this little exercise. It's this. It's sometimes we think we know what we're seeing, Sometimes we think we got a pretty good understanding of what's going on. Sometimes we, we think we've got a pretty, pretty good handle on what's happening, right? But the reality is this. Our perspective, what we see and what we understand, oftentimes is too small. 
See, we might think we can see the whole picture, but the reality is there's a whole lot going on. There's way more than what we think going on. Now, here's the deal. It's Easter, right? We get that. It's Easter Sunday. And usually you show up to church on Easter Sunday and you hear somebody like me talk about Jesus. And they go through kind of this timeline of Jesus. He was arrested and he was sentenced to death. And on Friday, they nailed him to a cross. And and after six hours of suffering on a cross, he died and he was buried in a tomb. And they they rolled this rock in front of the tomb and they, they chained it shut. But like we know this, right, spoiler alert, right, three days later, Sunday, Jesus, he came back to life, he walked out of the tomb, and now we celebrate Easter, all of these things that Jesus did by searching for eggs in our yard. Right, we search for eggs in our yard, a a magical bunny brings candy to our kids, Um, and I don't know about your kids, but my kids, like candy is like some form of cryptocurrency, all right, it means it's valuable to them. It means something. It has some value. They, they were they were last night. They were plotting their candy trade. You know, like they're can they're trading candy back and forth. Well, this is worth this many of these, and this is worth this many of these. And I don't know about you, but fun dip at seven a.m. is something else, right? Like it's a good, it's a good way to it's a good way to start the day. Let's just empty a pack of fun dip right in my mouth. I'm like, let's go. Like both my kids are like, happy Easter, right? They're just they're they're freaking out, right? So our kids, they search for candy, right? We, 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 we pile in the car as a family and we come to church and usually we hear the same kind of message. We hear this message that Jesus died on a cross for us and came back to life and because of that, now we have the opportunity to be forgiven for all the mistakes that we've ever made. All the mistakes we've made, all the, all the things that we regret, all those things we like, oh, I wish I could do, I wish I could get a do-over, I wish I could do away with that. Like we get that chance now because Jesus walked out of a tomb and there's this added perk, right? There's this added perk of Jesus coming back to life on Easter that, that we get to kind of be the beneficiaries of this like divine retirement plan. It's like the spiritual 401k from Jesus that, that guarantees us because he did what he did on Easter that when we die, we get to go to heaven if we believe in him. And what happens normally on Easter is we leave church and we go to brunch with our families. We take a few pictures in our nice clothes. And for us, at least, after we pull our kids off the ceiling, right, from all the candy they ate, we go to bed on Sunday night. And we think we got a pretty good handle on what Easter is all about. We think we had a pretty good understanding of what Easter is. And then Monday comes. And I'd say for most of us, our lives on the Monday after Easter really don't look, feel, or function any differently than they did on the days leading up to Easter. Sunday's over. So now it's kind of back to the normal routine. It's, it's nice to kind of get come into church and watch kids sing and go, oh, they're cute, like they're amazing, they're awesome. Like you get the warm fuzzies on Easter Sunday. You get that annual reminder what Jesus did for you on the cross. But at the end, outside of celebrating a holiday for a day, Easter really doesn't make that much of a difference in our lives, in the days that follow. It's because our understanding and our view of Easter is too small. See, here's the truth, right? Easter is a, revel- is a revolutionary moment where the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus really and truly changes everything about everything. And you might go like, Brad, that's hyperbole, right? Really, everything? Yes, everything. Everything? Yes, it changes everything about everything. But here's the problem. The problem with this is even though we think we got a pretty good handle on what Easter is all about, the truth is we miss out on the bigger picture of Easter. And here's the truth. If what we take away from Easter Sunday, if what we take away from Easter Sunday is this, that that Jesus gives us a free pass on our mistakes and our regrets so that one day we get into heaven, let me just tell you, what we think and what we see and what we understand about Easter is too small. If that's it, if that's kind of the main takeaway, if that's what we walk out of church with, we're going, you know what, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, that I get a a free pass 
I get a free pass on all that stuff that I regret, on all those mistakes. And one day, someday at some point, Jesus, I'll, I'll get to see you in heaven. If that's the case, I'll be honest with you, our view of Easter is too small. See, what Jesus accomplished on Easter offers us so much more than this one-time, one-use, end-of-life, get-out-of-hell-free card, right? It's, it's more than that. Easter is about more than taking this, like, magic spiritual eraser to all the mistakes in your life so that ultimately you feel better about yourself. It's more than that. The cross is more than just something that we put on our jewelry. It's more than, than something that we mount to the top of church buildings. It's, it's more than something that we use for decorations in our house. See, when we, the truth is this, when, when what we see and what we think and we understand about Easter is too small. We miss out on what really happened. We miss out on what's really happening and what's possible. What's possible right now in here, in this moment today, right now, we miss out on that. And we're not the only ones that did that. On the very first Easter, Jesus' closest friends, they, they, they missed it too. So if you got your Bibles with you or a Bible app in front of you, we're going to be in John chapter 20 today. John chapter 20. So there are these biographies of Jesus' life that are in the Bible. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They tell the story of Jesus' life. John, John's story of Jesus' life is really unique. Like, Jesus, like John's story is almost like an autobiography, right? Because you get to hear a lot of really cool things. John was super close with Jesus and always stayed physically close to Jesus. So you get to hear some of the things and see some of the things in John's biography, John's story of Jesus, you don't get to see other places, right? So here's where we're going to pick up. John chapter 20, starting in verse 1. And if you need a Bible, if you don't have one, we've got some in the back, and they are free. We would love for you to have a Bible. We would love for you to take one home with you today, right? So John chapter 20, starting in verse 1, it says this, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So we remember that, like Jesus was executed on the cross he was buried in a tomb. Tombs for us, like we think of graveyards, tombs for them back then, like they, they were in the side of, they were in like cliff sides and mountain sides. They were in caves. And so they buried Jesus in a cave and they rolled a rock in front of that cave. She sees that that rock's been removed from the entrance. So she came running back to some of other, some of Jesus' other closest friends, Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved. And she said this, they've, they've taken him. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb. And and we don't know, we don't know where, where they put him. They've taken him. The, the tomb, the, the stone was rolled away, and it was empty. They, they took him. So like back in this day, the Jewish week started on Sunday. So the first day of the week was Sunday. Jesus was publicly executed on a Friday. Guess what happened on Saturday? Nothing. Nothing happened on Saturday, right? And so what we're going to kind of airdrop into in this moment, we're going to parachute right into this early morning on the very first Easter Sunday, right? If it were my family, it would be the sun had not yet come up and our kids had already gone through like three bags of Jolly Ranchers, right? So this is like, this is the very first Easter Sunday. It's super early. The sun hasn't even come up yet. And there's this woman, one of Jesus' friends and followers named Mary, who's coming to the tomb where they bury Jesus on Friday night, and she gets to this place, and she sees that this rock that was rolled in front of the tomb and then chained, chained shut. She sees that, that it's been rolled off to the side, and the tomb is open, and she goes running back to where Jesus' followers are hiding out to tell them what she saw. Now, just to give, give us a better understanding of what's going on here, Jesus' followers, his disciples, they were still, as you could probably imagine, in shock from what happened on Friday, 
right? We, we've got traumatic experiences in our lives, right? Just really surviving the last couple of years in and of itself is, is a form of trauma, right? We've seen the world kind of shift and change and everything get turned upside down twice. So for them, it was the same kind of deal. They had this trauma of seeing Jesus, who was their leader, who was their teacher, And not only that, Jesus was the one that for his friends and followers, they tied all of their hopes and dreams to him. You ever done that? You ever put all of your hopes, you ever tie all of your hopes and dreams to something and then something goes horribly wrong or at least you think it goes horribly wrong? It's like, now what? They saw him get arrested. They they heard him being mocked and humiliated by the same people that, that, that really a week ago at this point, a few days ago at this point, are welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem as a king and shouting, Hosanna, like he is blessed, he's coming in the name of the Lord. Those same people are the people who are mocking him and spitting on him and humiliating him and begging for him to be crucified and killed. They saw that. They heard that. They heard about Jesus getting beaten. Some of them saw him get nailed to a cross and killed. They saw him shove a spear into his side to make sure he was dead. They saw him get buried. And even though... Even though Jesus told them multiple times all of this was going to happen and he was going to rise from the dead, in this moment, maybe you've been here, their own personal hurt and shock and fear and doubt and worry and anxiety and disappointment was all that they could see. And I know for so many of us, for so many of us, when life doesn't go like we thought, when, when things don't work out like we planned, what happens? We get tunnel vision. We get tunnel vision. We get tunnel vision, and all we can see is our own hurt and disappointment. That's real. See, a lot of times we, we read stories about people in the Bible, and we think, well, Bible people are special, right? Bible people are special because they're in their Bible, because they're in their Bible, they can do special things because they're Bible people. Bible people are people people. They're just like us. And just like us, when things don't work out like we thought, when things don't go as we planned, oftentimes we get tunnel vision. Jesus' friends and followers had tunnel vision at this point. All they could see, all they could hear, all they could feel was his death. So much so that they couldn't see what was going on. See, it's in moments like this that how we see and understand the world around us gets really, really small. And the same thing was true for Jesus' followers. The first, the first Easter Sunday morning, like we, we woke up today, and I'm telling you, I love the fact that you can, like you guys walk into this door, like you walk into church on a Sunday morning and everybody's excited to be here. This is like one of the few weekends a year where everybody comes in and like, we're really glad to be at church. Some other Sundays it's like, yeah, I'm here, right? I just showed up. And it's like, it's okay, I get it. Me too, right? I get that. Sometimes me too. But like Sunday morning, I was telling somebody, that, I was telling somebody this morning, it's like, you know, are you ready for your, your Easter sermon? I'm like, look, everybody comes in so hyped for Easter that I could stand up here and read the phone book and people would be like, amen, brother, that's awesome. So Easter gets us excited, but for the first Easter Sunday morning, Jesus' friends and followers, they didn't wake up excited. They didn't wake up joyful. They woke up confused. They woke up sad. They woke up hopeless. It was hard to tell wrong from right, what was up from down. It was hard to tell what was real and true and what wasn't. And they were all trying to figure out, what, what do we, where do we go from here? What do we do next? I'm sure some of them were thinking, like, how could we be so stupid? We, we got duped. We got hustled. He's dead. It's over. We've wasted this last few years of our lives following him around. See, what they could see and what they could understand was so small, they forgot. 
They lost sight of what Jesus told them had to happen. And so here's what they were doing. They were hiding out with the door locked and the shades pulled. Why? Because if all of this could happen to Jesus, then it could happen to them. And maybe that's, maybe that's what some of us think. Maybe that's what some of us think. Maybe that's what some of us have grown up to believe. That, that if Jesus' people treat him like that, then maybe they'll treat me like that. And we kind of keep an arm's distance. We kind of stiff arm the church. We kind of stiff arm people that are followers of Jesus because if they'll treat him like that, maybe they'll treat me like that. They felt the same way. If this could be done to Jesus, it could be done to us. And in that space, in comes Mary super early in the morning, and she tells him that the stone that sealed Jesus' grave was moved. The grave was opened. And get what she thinks happened. Somebody has taken his body. That's the only thing she can think of. Don't miss that. Mary's first thought in her mind, the reason that the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty wasn't because Jesus was alive. It's because somebody took him. N.T. Wright says this, is for the moment, in this moment, in this moment, the empty tomb is simply another twist of the knife. It's chaos upon chaos. No faith, no hope, no maybe, just a cruel trick. That's how they saw it. And after this, John tells us that Peter and another one of Jesus' closest friends, they, they run they, they run to the tomb to see this for themselves. And after going into the tomb to check things out, the Bible tells us in John chapter 20, verse 9, that they still didn't understand from the scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And it says, then the disciples, they went back to where they were staying. See, it was still early on the first Easter Sunday. And after hearing about the tomb being empty and then seeing it for a few of them, seeing it for themselves, their own hurt, their own frustration, their loss caused their view and understanding of Easter to be too small. And so they went back to where they were hiding out. And as far as they could tell, early in the morning on Easter Sunday, nothing changed. The only thing that happened was Jesus' body was now missing, and the only rational and logical explanation was somebody took it. And let me just tell you, we know this now, but Jesus has a real funny way of blowing up rational, like rational logic, right? It says this in, in verse 11. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look in the tomb, and she saw two angels dressed in white where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? I love that. When angels show up, they usually ask questions like this. Like, what's going on here? You know, usually when they show up and people are afraid, they say, don't be afraid. When they show up and people are crying, they say, hey, stop. Like, why are you crying? Like, why are you crying? And her response is this. They've taken my Lord away. And she said, I don't know where they've put him. And again, for us in this moment, put yourself in Mary's shoes. And I think for a lot of us, for a lot of us, we are. Because the truth is this. When we allow our situations and circumstances to cause our view and understanding of Easter to be too small, here's where we'll find ourselves. We will find ourselves in front of empty tombs, weeping, crying, yelling, angry, and frustrated because we're wondering where Jesus is. Where are you? Like, Jesus, what's the meaning of all this? Where, where are you, Jesus? Where have you gone? And maybe for you in your life, it feels like Jesus was taken from you. When someone you love or someone important in your life, when they left when they left your life for whatever reason, they took Jesus with them. They took Jesus away. Or worse, maybe in your mind, you're convinced that maybe Jesus got a picture, got a, got a view of where your life was headed, and he just left. Nah. 
I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to be a part of that life. I don't want to be seen with you. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to go down with the ship, right? Good luck. And for some of us, our prayers sound like this. Jesus, I was counting on you. Jesus, I needed you to show up. I needed you to do something. And Jesus, of all the days, it's Easter, and it seems like and it feels like in my life you're not here. See, Mary and the others, they lost sight of what was going on. Like so many of us, because of the situations and circumstances in our life, we lose sight of what's going on. And they were looking and they were expecting, Mary and the others were looking for and expecting to find the body of a dead Jesus in a graveyard. That's what they were expecting. And the same goes for us. When our view of understanding, when our view and understanding of Easter is too small, here's where, we'll, here's where we'll find ourselves. We will find ourselves looking for an alive and risen Jesus in the wrong places, expecting to find him there. But like we read in the Gospels, the truth is this. We don't find dead things. We don't find living things where dead things are, Right? We're looking in the wrong spot. It says this, pick up in verse 14 with me. It says, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Again, who is it that you're looking for? And Mary, get this, she thinks he's the gardener. Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, just tell me where you've put him and I'll get him. Now get this, okay? Understand what's going on here. Not only does Mary not recognize Jesus and think that he's the gardener, she also points her finger at him and accuses him of being the one that took Jesus' body. Which, let's be real here. There are times that we do the same. When our understanding of Easter is too small, when our view and understanding of Jesus is too small, when our lives get difficult and things get hard, and in our mind Jesus has bailed on us, he's left us, what do we do? We end up pointing our finger at him and we blame him for things that he never did, that he's not responsible for, and we blame him for leaving us, for running away from our mess because we don't realize that it's him standing directly in front of us. And then this happens. Jesus says to her, Mary. And she turned towards him and she cried out in Aramaic, Aramaic Rabboni. I would imagine Jesus' tone shifted in that moment. See, there's a part of me that kind of thinks Jesus recognized that, that Mary didn't recognize who he was. And so he kind of asked this question, like, who are you looking for? And she goes into accusing him of taking his body and all this kind of stuff. And then I think at this point in time, Jesus realizing, knowing that Mary doesn't recognize who he is for whatever reason, I think his, I think his tone shifted. My guess is it got softer. Almost like at a whisper. Mary. This is the moment that everything changed for Mary. When she heard Jesus say her name. Hearing him say her name cut through this fog of hurt and loss. It cut through all of the anger and despair and all of that shifted in an instant. Hearing Jesus say her name, in that moment she saw just how big Easter is. In that moment she was able to see the full picture. Everything that he said would happen really happened. Everything that he said he could do, he did. And notice, notice this, notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, it's me, dummy. He doesn't shame her. He doesn't shame Mary for not recognizing him. Like, how could you forget, Mary, that I said, how many times did I say this, Mary? How many times did I tell you and the rest of the guys that all this was going to happen and you don't even recognize me? Shame on you. 
That's not what he says. He just says her name. And for Mary, in that moment, that's enough for everything to snap into focus. This morning, as we read this story together, my hope and my prayer for you, for us, is that like Mary, you can feel and hear Jesus call you by your name. Because he knows your name. Some of us, if we walk in here and we're in the same spot that Mary was in, he's right in front of us, and because of all the hurt, loss, despair, we can't even tell that it's him. Our frustration with the world around us, with our family, with our neighbors, with our, with, with our spouses, with the church. We don't recognize that it's him. I pray that you hear him call you by your name. He says, I never left. I wasn't taken from you. I don't let you down. I don't run from your mess. I'm not embarrassed by you. I'm not ashamed to be seen with you. I want to be with you. And he calls you by your name. See, it's in that moment, it's in that moment that we hear Jesus call our name when we recognize that Jesus, even though we don't recognize him, he recognizes us. It's in that moment where Easter, the full picture, we get to see the full picture of what really happened on Easter. And this is why nothing can be the same again. We pick up in verse 19. It says, on the evening of that first day of the week. So this happened in the morning. So you fast forward to the evening. On the evening of the first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. Think about this, right? Jesus shows up in the middle of where they are with the doors locked and the shades pulled, trying to hide out and let everything blow over. Jesus shows up and guess what? He doesn't use the door. See, they saw Jesus die as a lamb, but see, now they see what's possible when he rises like a lion. He's doing things that they never thought were possible before. They're, They're seeing him do things that they never dreamed of before. And what does Jesus bring them? He brings them peace. This word peace in the Bible, it does not mean absence of conflict. I think for a lot of us, that's what we think. Peace means there's no fighting, there's no war, there's no tension, there's no conflict. That's not what peace means. Peace means this. Peace means satisfaction and wholeness that only God can provide. It's satisfaction and wholeness as God intended. Jesus looks at his scared followers and he says this, peace is with you. That wholeness and that satisfaction that only God can provide, that is with you. See, for us, when Easter gets too small, there's this ache in us. There's this longing in us for satisfaction and wholeness. And when Easter's too small, we, we believe, we get tricked into believing that it's up to us to make ourselves whole. And we chase all kinds of things thinking that those will work. It's our jobs, it's our success, it's where we live, it's our zip code, it's our house, it's our checking account, it's, it's the influence we have, it's the status we have, it's how many friends and followers we have. We think that's going to make us feel satisfied and full. And they fail. Why? Because our view and understanding of Easter is too small. Our view and understanding of Jesus is too small. When we see Easter for what it really is, when we begin to see Jesus for who he really is, we find a peace. We are given a peace that's unlike anything else. It's a satisfaction. It's a wholeness that only Jesus can give. And it replaces anything that you might be chasing. It takes the space of anything you might be chasing. After this, it says that he showed them his hands and his side. And the disciples, they were overjoyed when they saw their Lord. And again, Jesus says this. He reminds them, peace. Why? Because they're freaked out. Just like maybe many of us are in life. We're freaked out. We're wondering what's going to fill this void in the middle of our lives. 
because everything we've tried so far isn't working. So Jesus twice says, my peace is with you. My, my wholeness, my satisfaction, that is with you. The, the completeness is with you, right? And then he says this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Peace is yours. And with that kind of peace, with that kind of wholeness, with that kind of satisfaction that's unlike anything else, the satisfaction that only God can provide, the peace and wholeness and completeness that God intended for us to have, in that same way, with that at the center of who we are, the same way Jesus says, I was sent, I'm sending you. Jesus says, the same way I lived, you can live. The same purpose, Jesus says, that I was given by God, you can have. And then John closes out the section. He says, with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Catch this, okay? Jesus' closest friends and followers woke up on Sunday scared, sad, hurt, and alone. They woke up on Sunday morning scared, sad, hurt, and alone. They went to bed on Sunday night and woke up on Monday morning with the peace and wholeness and satisfaction in their lives that comes from God that's unlike anything else. That's how they went to bed on Sunday night. That's how they woke up on Sunday morning. They went to bed on Sunday and woke up on Monday with a new purpose, to be sent into the world, to live a life that Jesus lived, to do the things that Jesus did. They went to bed on Sunday night. They woke up on Monday morning filled with the Holy Spirit, the power and presence and person of God at work in us and, in, and through us, right? Sunday began for them in a locked room, hiding out in fear of religious leaders under authority that was, that was a corrupt empire. It ended, Sunday ended with them being citizens in a new kingdom under the authority of King Jesus. The Monday morning after Easter wasn't just more of the same. It wasn't just, let's go back to the grind. Monday morning was the first day of a brand new life and a brand new kingdom. Church, that's what Easter is all about. Easter is not just about us getting into heaven later because Jesus makes us good. Easter is about Jesus getting a piece of heaven into us so that we can live a new life with a new purpose in a new kingdom right now. Easter isn't about the hope that eventually at some point, we're going we're gonna to find, we're going to reach this place of hope eventually at some point in our lives. That's not what it is. E Easter is this. It's the beginning of a new reality. Easter is the beginning of a new reality where new things are possible, where God is not distant from you. God is not disengaged or mad at you. God is not disappointed with you. Some of us, that's what we've heard. We've heard, that's from, we've, we've heard from our earthly fathers time and time and time again that they're mad at us, they're ashamed of us, and they're disappointed with us. Now we get to hear from our heavenly father, who is not the reflection of our fathers, but the perfection of our fathers. I am not mad at you. I am not ashamed of you. I am not disappointed with you. I am proud of you. I love you. Jesus says, God is your father, he's your God, and you are his. He loves you, he sees you, he knows you, he's proud of you. To God, you are worth the life of his son. And it's not just God with you, it's God in you. The Holy Spirit moves within us to restore and renovate and reshape and rehab our lives so that we look more like Jesus. Easter is about being sent into the world for the sake of all who are in the world. Filled with, like Jesus said, the breath of heaven in our lungs. Why? So that we can proclaim and declare that there is a new life available, that nothing ever has to be the same again, right? Easter is not a 24-hour religious holiday. It is a liberation event, church. 
It's the unleashing of a movement that was launched the day that Jesus rose from the dead like a lion. And it continues right now, today, through the, through the new life and the work of rescued rescuers. People who have been saved so that they can go and also get people and Jesus together in the same room. They can see Jesus work in others' lives just like they worked in his, in their own. These are redeemed people, repurposed. For something to be redeemed, it has to be deemed first. Right? We redeemed the creation and the reflection and the image bearers of God. Sin broke that. So now we've been redeemed. We have been redeemed God's kids. We have been redeemed heirs with Jesus. We are the redeemed people bringing redemption into the world. Jesus' resurrection wasn't and isn't a surprise happy ending to a story. It's the beginning of a, it's a new beginning that's available to anybody that chooses to believe in him today. It means this, church, that the darkest and strongest powers in the world, the powers of sin and death, have been defeated right now. The darkest powers in your life, the darkest powers in your life, that addiction, that shame, that secret, that you haven't shared with anybody because if you did, it would end you. Jesus says, because of what I've done on Easter, there is now no condemnation. The darkest powers on earth have been dealt with. There is no condemnation for those of us who are in Jesus. Your past does not condemn you anymore. The secrets do not condemn you anymore. You do not have to be afraid of sin or death anymore. Today, you can live a new life. The with God life for us can now become a reality. Let me just tell you this, church, if you believe in Jesus if you've been believing in Jesus, if you walked into this door excited about Easter because you trusted Jesus with your life sometime before, let me just challenge you with this. Stop living like the rest of the world. Don't let Monday, don't let tomorrow be like last Monday. The with God life is possible. It's a reality now because of Jesus. When we believe in his gospel, that he lived a perfect life, that he died on a cross as a sacrifice to, to, uh, for us, to, to pay the debt of sin, to remove the power of sin. He did all of this for us. And that death could not keep him in the grave, that he walked out of that tomb, breaking that he left sin and death in the grave forever. We believe that gospel. That gospel isn't just a feel-good story. It's an announcement of a new reality. All things are possible now because of Jesus. And here's the cool thing. Our lives become the place where heaven and earth meet. At the center of who we are, when the Holy Spirit moves into us, our lives now become the place where heaven and earth meet. And the truth is, church, because of Easter, nothing will ever be the same again. Now we have a better understanding. So maybe it's time for some of us to let go of a small view and a small understanding of Easter. Maybe it's time for some of us to walk out of this place. And Monday is never going to look the same. Tomorrow is not going to look the same as it did yesterday. It's not going to look, it's not going to look like last Monday. And Tuesday isn't going to look like last Tuesday. Why? Because now we know. And maybe for some of us, we walked in here today, we got drug in here today, or we lost a bet, or we said we'd do this, we got this, right? I don't know what, what got you in here today. 
maybe this is just like the, you're just checking off like 50% of your church attendance for the year. It's this, and then I'll do it again sometime at the end of December, and I'm done. I want you to know that whatever's in your past, whatever is in your present, you can be set free from that. It does not have to define you. The, the cycle of generational sin, of I just kind of do, I was, I was, handled, I was handed this, this deck and I'm just trying to play it the best way I can, but I've just got the same junk and the same wounds from my dad and his dad and my family, just this, this addiction and alcoholism or workaholism, whatever it is, just got handed down through my family and I'm just kind of playing it out. It doesn't have to define you anymore. Your past and your present can be different. Your future can change today and all it takes all Jesus requires from us is that we say we believe in him, that we believe that his life was perfect, that his life was enough for us, that his death was enough for us, and that his resurrection is what sets us free. So today, if you need prayer, I would love to pray with you. If you want to choose to follow Jesus for the first time in your life, I would love to do that. Right? I'm going to be down front over here. Nick, one of our elders, is going to be over here. His wife, Christy, will be here. Justin is in the back. If you need prayer today, we would love to pray with you. If you want to say yes to Jesus today, we would love to, to walk you through that. If you are looking for a place, a church to, to, to call home, we would love for you to, to, to join this family. We're messy. We're real messy. And we're kind of crazy. But we'd love for you to join this family. I'm going to pray for us. and We're going to worship together. We're going to worship the fact that, that what we read in the Bible, even though it happened thousands of years ago, God is still the same God today. Jesus is still saving today. He didn't just save 2,000 years ago. He saves right now, and it's possible. And because of him, new things are possible. All things are possible. Let's pray together. Jesus, you're good. We love you. And Jesus, today we say thank you. We give you all the glory, all the praise, and all the honor because we could not do what you did. Jesus, you, you sacrificed yourself. You, you laid your life down. You said, nobody takes my life. I give my life. Jesus, you gave your life for us as a lamb, but you rose three days later as a lion. Father, today, may we experience your power and your majesty and your might and your wonder. Lord, may we come to you and know that you know us, that you love us. You don't run from us. You're not ashamed of us. You're not mad at us. Jesus, we have a new relationship with the author and creator of the universe. It's because of what you did on the cross. So Jesus, today, we need you to be the same Jesus you were 2,000 years ago right now in our lives, and we know that you are. God, we need you to be the same God you were when you spoke universes into existence. We know that you can do that here and now. We love you and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing with us?